0: Hello, it's Joseph Isky here again. Now, these are unusual times as COVID-19 impacts our usual urology practices. So maybe the reduction in the usual burden of circumcisions and frenuloplasties has freed up some time to catch up with Chiroch Shared in a podcast we did back in 2016. It's the podcast about the landmark paper by Chiroch, which was published in the Journal of Urology in 2006. It was timeless, entitled Outcomes of Radical Cystectomy for Transitional Cell Carcinoma of the Bladder, a contemporary series from the Bladder Cancer Research Consortium. It was great then and even better now where Professor Shariat gives us some great insights into bladder cancer that are equally relevant in practices severely affected by COVID-19. Chiroc tells us about analysing and answering the critical questions that are still open in bladder cancer, not only the prognostic factors, but what can we learn about the disease and how can we modify the disease. So, please
1: enjoy. Testing, one, two, three.
0: Am I making this pop? Is it suspiciously poppy? Popular in here? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, that's poppy enough, Wonderful. Yep. If that sounds good, then we can get cracking. Are you recording? Should we go? Yeah, go, we're recording. It's urology. It's not rocket science. It's not even brain surgery. I can't believe the radiologist missed that it stood out like dogs. You've got to have a sense of humour when you look at genitals, really.
1: Bend over and assume the position.
0: Bladder, most beautiful organ in the body. Talking urology with Dr. Joseph Iskier and Dr. Nathan Laurenchuk, a podcast series supported by Ipsen. I'm Joseph Iskier, and I'm Nathan Laurenchuk, and we're talking urology, where we discuss the key points of the landmark papers that guide your practice every day. Today we're looking at the landmark paper by Shirok Shariot, which was published in the Journal of Urology, and we're going back a while now to 2006. It was titled, Outcomes of Radical Cystectomy for Transitional Cell Carcinoma of the Bladder, a contemporary series from the Bladder Cancer Research Consortium. We were lucky enough to chat to Shirok about this paper, which of his 714 papers, this is his second most cited.
2: I'm Shirok Shariot. I'm now currently Professor and Chairman in the University of Vienna, I hold also two other positions in the United States, at Cornell and UT Southwestern in Dallas, two um, places where I trained before and have a good relationship with my friends there and I still have labs ongoing and research ongoing.
0: Let's begin by looking at why this paper is important. Up until this paper, there had only been single center papers describing outcomes after radical cystectomy, and this was the first to bring together multiple centers and pave the way for an international collaboration which was the Bladder Cancer Research Consortium, and had a centralised database.
1: It really set the benchmark for survival outcomes in the pre-neoadjuvant chemotherapy era that we now accept as a standard following radical cystectomy and lymph node dissection for bladder cancer. The purpose of the study was to report the characteristics and
0: disease outcomes of a large, multi-institutional cohort of patients treated with radical cystectomy and bilateral lymphadenectomy for bladder TCC, it was performed in 888 patients during a 20-year period from 1984 to 2003. A database was developed to collect retrospective and prospective data on consecutive patients with bladder TCC who were treated with radical cystectomy and pelvic lymphadenectomy at three academic centres in Texas.
1: These were, of course, the University of Texas, Baylor and John Hopkins. Shirock was instrumental in putting this database together. It was a monumental task... And we asked him why he did it.
2: The question was, can we answer some of these critical questions that are still open in bladder cancer? Not only prognostic factors, but how, what can we learn about the disease? How can we modify the disease? And the first stage of working to getting this work to come together and this group to come together and focus on the main issues that matter to the individual patient and, and integrating research in our clinical management was to collect the data that what we already knew and that is retrospective uh, approach to it. So we built a bladder cancer research consortium.
0: It must have been phenomenally difficult to get it up and running.
2: It's like everything in life. Uh, you, you're trying to convince a lot of people that are busy uh, in the life, specifically the senior guys, uh, to invest some time. Uh, but um, it actually, at the end of the day, was easier than what I thought. Um, once you put they, all these people have, are auto-selected. They're, they're selected themselves. They believe in what you believe. They believe in changing the status quo in this disease. They're passionate about the disease they're taking care of. They're passionate about the patients they're taking care of. And they're seeing the limits of what we're doing now. So let's
1: take a closer look at the paper, Joe.
2: As I
0: mentioned, it included 888 patients with urothelial cancer who underwent radical cystectomy and pelvic lymphadenectomy with curative intent to treat bladder cancer.
1: It is important to note that this is largely a pre-neoadjuvant era study, with neoadjuvant and adjuvant chemotherapy administered to 5% and 26% of patients, respectively, and only in those with evidence of advanced disease by clinical or pathological staging.
0: Outcomes measured were time to clinical recurrence, i.e. disease-free survival, overall survival and bladder cancer-specific survival. The study population comprised 19% female and 81% male patients, and the median age was 66.2 years. I used to think it was all just smoking-related, but it is clear that men are still more likely to get bladder cancer. And so I asked Shirok
2: why he thought this was the case. What's a great question, you know? Men and female are dramatically different. We, um, uh, from the point of view, you know, from genetics, there's something we have not really fully understood. Okay. Uh, we, we, we know that females that smoke are more likely to get bladder cancer than males that smoke. Females that present with a cancer present at higher stages and even stage for stage have a worse prognosis than men. Yet, there's always whatever you do in the smoking cohort and in a non-smoking cohort you still have a higher proportion of men getting the cancer. What is the risk underlying it? It's probably a more multifactorial, it's certainly some epigenetic factors that play a major role, response to different stress factors that affect the bladder. But as well, what I think is, is, is not only the exposure to... Um, to um, Carcinogens, but it's also probably something inherent to some of the carcino- to of your genetic material. Okay. Men and female are dramatically different in a genetic material. To give you an example, the difference between men and female and between two females or two males is 15 fold in a genetic material. Mm-hmm. It is almost the same number of genes in common, genetic material in common, with a female of the human race as with a chimpanzee.
1: Patients were followed for a median of 39 months, and local or distant disease recurrence developed in 35% of patients, and 28% died of bladder cancer.
0: In the analysis, 25% of patients had extravicycle tumour extension with negative lymph nodes, and 24% had lymph node metastases. I wonder if these numbers would be less in modern series after neoadjuvant chemotherapy.
2: I'm, a, I'm, I'm a absolutely convinced about the value of neoadjuvant chemotherapy in the uh, properly uh, selected patient. That is a whole question: uh, which patients should get neoadjuvant chemotherapy? And you know, with a new immunotherapeutics, that's going to change again. And the side effect profile might make it more attractive of using it more commonly. But certainly, what we have seen in a series that we published actually uh, later on in patients that had. Definitive chemo for positive nodes or near adjuvant. We see a change in the number of lymph nodes positive, and we certainly see a downstaging. in those patients are the responders. But the problem is not everybody is a responder. And selecting the right patient for the right drug at the right time is yes. all about personalized medicine.
1: Certainly, radical cystectomy with bilateral lymphadenectomy provided durable local control and long-term survival with five-year recurrence-free survival rates of fifty-eight percent. And a bladder cancer specific rate of 66%.
0: We often see that word durable in the final line of retrospective studies. I asked Shirok if this was just a throwaway line that he often
2: used. What would be a non-durable result? The interpretation of what durable local control. So, um, at this disease, in this disease, if you don't treat it, you have 90% to 100% that die within two years. Okay. So we already have changed a natural disease of this uh, natural uh, outcome of this disease, but is surgery. That is already a big leap forward by a properly done surgery. And so 58%, 60%, and probably today, it depends on the case mix you have of the patient, the disease stage uh, uh, presentation, you you get a good control in this patient. It's certainly not sufficient. And uh, the patients that actually, when we talk about durable local control, is these patients mostly recur systematically, systemically, sorry. Mm -hmm. So, that is the role of the you know, perioperative chemotherapy, be it adjuvant or neoadjuvant. And so, we need to do more. The macrometastatic disease that we need to control is really where we're falling short in this uh, disease. And that's what we see here.
1: Logically, the rate of lymph node involvement increased with advancing pathological stage. Preoperative multivariate analysis demonstrated that clinical tumour stage and neoadjuvant systemic chemotherapy were associated with cancer recurrence. Hang on
0: a minute, neoadjuvant chemo did worse.
2: In in most of these patients in this older series, the patients that were selected for neoadjuvant or for adjuvant were the worst uh, patients. There's a lot of things you can capture with disease stage, grade and lymphovascular invasion lymph node as you can but yeah. still in a multivariate analysis you trying to adjust for these covariates. you're still not capturing the whole disease and you're not capturing the biology underlying the disease so a multivariate analysis does not adjust for the uh, for for these um, negatively selected patients okay. the proper way of doing it if you want to do it statistically correct is maybe by propensity matching mm-hmm. and even then you're not achieving it fully And that's a flood of all these retrospective data sets. Interestingly,
1: more advanced age, clinical tumour stage and preoperative carcinoma in situ were associated with bladder cancer specific mortality.
0: Why are old people more likely to do worse apart from the obvious age variable, which should be accounted for in multivariate analysis? Chiroc had some real gems on this point.
2: We know that older patients are more likely to have complications, we know all that, and perioperative mortality, but this was cancer-specific mortality. And uh, look at any single database you look at in muscle-invasive disease, older patients do worse. Then why put older people through it if it's not going to be effective? Why bother? The reality is still a huge proportion of these patient's benefit of it. And if you look at the, at the odds ratio and, uh, you know, of how many of these older did worse, it's a very small change. It's statistically okay. significant, but it's not something that clinically will be significant for the individual patients. The variability, point, right? the variability between patients is bigger than the variability of age affected, or okay. also from gender affected. And that has to do that um, probably also in this case series, the older patients have a worse immune system, a worse, you know, uh, there have been longer, heavy smokers exposed to you know, more cardiovascular disease, all the things, and that also affects the primary disease in a certain manner. They also cannot get optimal therapy, cisplatin based and so on. If you're older, your GFR, your autotoxicity, right. neurotoxicity probably prevents you getting the pro- appropriate treatment. That a younger treatment. Person would yeah. Get. Yeah, and what we've also seen in Sierra Medicare population based data mm. sets older patients get suboptimal not only therapy they get chemo, radiation often but even if you get cystectomy they get less lymph nodes taken and so on. Okay. So that is not correct. Okay. We're then maybe not getting the same therapy I should get based on the age and yep. we're giving them not the same chance as a younger patient.
0: So it's more of an issue of fitness and failure to get through all treatment options that leads to worse outcomes. Fantastic reasoning.
1: Getting to post-operative multivariate analysis this demonstrated that pathological tumor stage, lymph node metastasis, lymphovascular invasion, adjuvant radiotherapy and adjuvant chemotherapy were associated with cancer recurrence.
0: Once again, we see that adjuvant radiotherapy and chemotherapy were associated with worse outcomes for the reasons we've already discussed. Lymphovascular invasion is not something we usually talk about in the multidisciplinary meetings that I'm involved with. Do you think LVI should really push you over to absolutely needing neoadjuvant chemotherapy if it's present on your TURBT specimen?
2: Well, let's look at it. If you have a T1 with lymphovascular, you certainly got to get a cystectomy. But if you have a T2 with lymphovascular invasion, that's a high risk of micrometastasis. This is the patient that is ideally for neoadjuvant chemo, hydronephrosis, and variant histology. If you have dose 3 or you have a T3 on a bimanual exam or MRI. So it's one of many criteria for your neoadjuvant selection because these patients are more likely to not T3s and positive lymph nodes at the end of the day. Great. So I think this is a strong predictive factor. The problem is you have to get your pathologist to report on the lymphovascular invasion.
1: To summarize, higher pathological tumor stage, more advanced age, lymph node metastasis, lymphovascular invasion, and adjuvant radiotherapy were associated with disease-specific survival. Patients with metastasis to regional lymph nodes were at significantly higher risk for bladder cancer recurrence and death than patients with extravesical tumour extension or those having PT3N0 disease.
0: Makes sense. The further it has spread, the worse you do.
1: Sure. And patients with extravesical tumour extension, being PT3N0, Were at significantly higher risk than patients with organ-confined disease, being those with PT2, N0 or less.
0: I think we get the gist. There are some obvious limitations with this study, such as its retrospective nature.
1: Also, the extent of lymph node dissection is highly important, and one topic that is getting further study at present. The ability to have an impact on disease outcomes may be linked to the upper limit of the dissection, whether it be the branching of the iliac vessels, the common iliac vessel, or even up into the retroperitoneum. Hopefully, the ongoing trials will help answer this question in the coming years. Further, because the study period spanned over two decades, the data may not have represented current practice patterns at the time of publication. For example, neoadjuvant chemotherapy was relatively underutilized in the patient series compared to existing recommendations and certain surgical techniques, Indications for surgery and follow-up protocols have changed with time.
0: One of the key biases of these studies are that these data are representative of the quality of cystectomy performed by specialists trained in urologic oncology at high-volume academic institutions. This is a really important issue these days. What is high volume either by surgeon or institution? What do you
2: nominate, Sherlock? Look, this is a very difficult question. Uh, because it 's not only a factor of the volume, it 's also of your training you received, uh, did you do a fellowship? Did you have the right mindset? Do you have the proper support system? so it 's not only the number of cases you do, but also is your team with the medical oncologists, nursing, anesthesists, are all there, uh, uh, involved in it. What we know is the number of cases you do will affect your perioperative complications, your intraoperative, your perioperative mortality, your 60, 90 days, 120 days mortality. But not only that, also your cancer-specific outcomes will be affected by your experience. Do we know how many cases you need to do it? Come on, Chirot.
0: I live in Australia. We've had five Prime Ministers in the last six years. I know politicians speak when I hear
2: it. Give us a number. Look, I can only tell you what in certain countries they've looked at. Uh, Certain countries, you don't get reimbursement if you don't do 10, 20 cases a year. And you'll be surprised. Most urologists do less than one or two. So um, is 10, 20 the the right number? I think it's too low. How many do you do, Shirok? Well, now we started the institution when I took it over. We had 21 a year. Now we had 70 a year. And all those 70 are done by myself. So it's, it's, and we are rising. And this is a, um, a repercussion of centralization because the healthcare system realized the cost of care increases and that the comp, because the complications are higher. So they want to keep that low. So they're doing the centralization. On the other hand is patients and the local doctors realize they will get better care if they come to a center that is focused on that disease from every single cycle of, of the thing with a programmatic approach. So how much is appropriate? I don't know, but certainly more than 10, I would say.
1: Almost one per month. I think that's a good number as a minimum. High-volume centres are still accumulating extremely large databases and mining that data for their results. But are they still necessary? Shirok appears to think so.
2: Yes, I think they're still essential. I think whatever you do in whatever uh, uh, discipline, you need to see how well you do and you compare the benchmark to other centers, see who are the outliers, who are doing good, who are doing bad, learning from both directions. So I think databases and continuously assessing what you're doing and what your results are but should not only be done by big volume centers, should be done with every single one of us. Uh, and, and I think it has not only an effect on patient care, but also on cost and the healthcare cost is rising in every uh, Western country. So I think here you, you have a necessity, continuous necessity of collecting data, quality checking the data, and improving upon what you're doing as a benchmark.
0: I offered Shirok my magic eight ball that would answer any question he had without the need
2: for a long, expensive trial. What would he ask it? How can I prevent the disease is the major issue. If you can prevent it, and if you cannot prevent it, how can I early detect it but that's shifting the disease and making it a manageable disease? Everything else you're asking is just, you know, limited small steps. The questions, which patients need an adjuvant, which patients this, that, robotic or open... These are not questions that are truly changing the natural history significantly to make a difference. Prevention is a key, and we know already the answer to it. I don't need to ask a magic ball. I know (laughs) that smoking cessation will be the major impact in changing this disease, not only in its its diagnosis, but also in its prognosis. At any time you intervene. So the answer, we know it already, but uh, in in Australia, you've done already a tremendous effort in changing that. Well, that
1: sounds about right. You're not allowed to smoke anywhere in Australia these days. can't afford to. Do you know it costs $22 for a pack of cigarettes these days? So what are the take-home messages? Joseph, I'm glad you asked. When you do a cystectomy, 25% will have extraversycle tumour extension with negative lymph nodes and 23% will have lymph node metastasis. The risk of spread increases with advancing pathological stage. The risk of cancer recurrence and death increases with more advanced age clinical tumour stage, lymph node metastasis and lymphovascular invasion. Cystectomy and pelvic lymph node dissection provides durable local control and disease-specific survival in patients with localised, invasive, transitional or urethelial carcinoma.
0: Thanks Nathan and thanks to Chiroch, another great author and another great paper. I hope you found this interesting and if you have any questions, comments or feedback, all positive feedback can be sent to talkingurology at gmail.com. All negative feedback can be directed to the parking inspectors around the MCG. This has been Talking Urology with Dr. Joseph Iskia and Dr. Nathan Laurinchuk, a podcast series supported by Ipsen.